Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 5th, 2020, we continue our series titled, The Parables. Today's sermon, The Searching Savior, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. Enjoy. I've titled this sermon, The Searching Savior, and I hope that your walk away today is to know that our Savior searches and seeks for the lost. It reminded me as I was going through it of times where I've felt like I've been a bit lost. And maybe some of you even now with what's going on in our, uh, in our country, in our culture, um, just all of the difficulties and hardships that we're experiencing these days. I think that it brings us sometimes to a very dark place. It reminded me of many years ago, um, probably about 25 uh, plus years ago, uh, Jill and I were fairly newly married, about two or three years, and I was at a place where I was in severe doubts, and doubts that, that God even existed, doubts that, that Jesus uh, was really the Messiah, and I went to a very dark place. I was in fact lost. I remember sitting on our back porch just pondering whether God even existed. And I remember crying and asking God to reveal himself to me. God, if you are real, would you please just reveal yourself to me? I remember crying out to him and saying, I just, I just can't reconcile all this. I just can't bring this all together. I was struggling over this thought that God would choose me out of some eight billion people in this world. Why would God set his affection and his, his sovereign choice upon me of all people? And I was just doubting his existence. And I remember praying, Lord, would you please, please give me some sort of sign. Reveal your existence. Reveal your sovereignty. Show me that you are in complete control. I remember just looking around and saying, there's nothing, nothing. And then literally out of nowhere, this little hummingbird, he came zipping down out of the sky as they kind of move in those abrupt ways. And he stopped what had to have been three or four feet from my face. And his wings were going a million miles per hour and his body made no movement. And he just stared at me. And at first I was like, ah, you know, get away from me. And then I sat there and I thought for a minute, could this be? Could this be the sign? Could this be what God's trying to reveal his power in just this little tiny hummingbird? And as I looked at it and searched around it, and we're talking a matter of minutes, it didn't move. And as I literally looked around the bird and checked it all over, I saw the intricate details of the design of this bird, how the sun reflected off of his feathers, how he could move a small inch, but yet it seemed like he didn't move at all. His wings keeping him perfectly still. And I searched him over, and in that instant, he vanished. He flew away. And I thought to myself, what an incredible God. A God who made so much intricate detail, such extravagance on just the smallest of a bird. 
How much more did he do in the people, the pinnacle of his creation, to make us in the image of him? It started a journey for me. It was taking me out of my lost condition. And I realized at that moment that God sought us out of our lost condition. Jesus became the lamb. You see, this message today is the message of the Pharisees and the religious leaders that they failed to see. It is what Jesus taught in the parables. To understand that in Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, that's why he came. In this parable, God is seen as grieving, as seeking, as finding, and as rejoicing. We have to remember that we are sheep. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. You see, we are saved by the works and the righteousness of God. And it is sinners that are in fact saved. My point one today of this message is that sin is deceptive. Sin itself can deceive us into thinking and lulling us and luring us into believing that we're not in sin. And that we are in fact not only in sin, we're lost. You see, without any kind of training, with any kind of raising a small child, I don't need to tell them how to minimize sin in their life by downplaying it or blame shifting it. That becomes a natural reflex of humanity. I don't have to teach them or a child how to become self-righteous or to default towards any kind of legalism or license. I don't have to teach them to listen to the orphan thoughts and the thoughts in their mind rather than the child of God thoughts that he gives us in everything. I don't have to teach someone how to manufacture an idol and make something more important than God at any one time. But those things are the very things that walk a path away from God. Today we're going to talk about this path that Jesus himself came to save us from, this lost path. I want you, before we get into the parable, to think of two particular groups. In fact, Luke is going to tell us a tale of two groups. The people before Jesus began to, before he actually began to speak in a parable, group one is the tax collectors and the sinners. They're evil and they know it. They know that they're sinners. But group two, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're evil and they don't know it. Today will be a challenge for us to figure out which group do we belong to? Which group are we a part of? You see, group one, the sinners, are always welcomed by Jesus. Jesus never, in fact, shoes them away and says, get away from me, you sinners. He lingers with them. He talks with them. He associates with them. He even goes and drinks water with them at a well. 
He has dinner with them. He visits with them in their illness. He's patient with them even in their anger. Group two, this group that doesn't even know that they're a sinner, they're always welcomed by Jesus as well. But see, in their case, they don't want Jesus around. They don't want him near them. Because Jesus receives sinners. He associates with the unclean. Jesus goes out into their world, these the Pharisees and the scribes to their, to their space. And Jesus even calls them, as well as sinners, to repent. Jesus, in fact, receives all. But only one group, in fact, receives Jesus. You see, only the sinner receives Jesus. The self-righteous do not. So Jesus takes his time to show his heart of God, the Father, to those who don't know that they in fact need him. He tells them stories to sneak past their guarded hearts. And in so doing, he reveals to us today that the heart of Christ for the sinner and the saint, for the tax collector and the rule followers, he shows us just how big the love of God the Father really is. When we look at Luke 15, verses 1 through 10, it reads like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He tells another parable similar to it. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A pastor on the East Coast, Tim Keller, says that the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin are basically the same story. In each, something is lost, something is searched out, and something is found. Jesus is, in fact, making a very simple point here. He came to search and to find the one. He came to restore that which was lost. That's what Jesus is doing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it this way. He said, the truth here taught is just this, that mercy stretched forth her hand to misery, that grace receives mankind as sinners, that it deals with demerit, 
unworthiness and worthlessness, that those who think themselves righteous are not the objects of divine compassion, but the unrighteous, the guilty, and the undeserving are the proper subjects for the infinite mercy of God. You see, it's the sinner that's saved. It's understanding that in a word that salvation is not of merit, but of grace. It leads us to our point two. Salvation is by grace alone. And since salvation is not of merit, but of grace, God's heart towards the sinner is different than our heart towards the sinner. You see, in Jesus' case, he's not waiting to turn our lives around. He's bringing the sinner home. He's searching for those stuck in a cave or lost in the floorboards like the coin. He's not content with finding the lost one. He rejoices over its restoration, being returned to the fold. God searches for and finds the lost and he finds them one by one. You see, until all his children, all of his children are tucked in safe into their eternal rooms, and then God throws a party. Who would spend so much time on one sheep, on one coin? Most shepherds, would probably say, you know, I'll just write that sheep off. I've got the 99. I'm just going to go to market with the 99. But see, Jesus in his extravagance, in his excessiveness, searches for the one. You see, God's love is excessive. It's extravagant. It's lavish. The sinners and the tax collectors at this time must have understood he was referring to them. They were the lost sheep. They were the lost coin. Jesus was looking for them and they had been found. How many in the crowd that day had dined with Jesus? How many of them were healed by Jesus? How many received a smile or felt the touch or warmed in his presence? Yet it was not this group that Jesus directed his parable that day. He was not instructing the sinners. He was instructing the self-righteous, the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, the sinners and the tax collectors had been found by Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes were still running from him. They knew the law, but they did not know God. They studied and obeyed the letter of the law without seeing the heart of love. They, like many of us, venture into the world with our Sunday best and our Bible in our hand and a smile ready to produce a masquerade ball. Their minds are too occupied with obedience to even see that they have a need. Too full of themselves to, in fact, need a savior. Lost and unaware, they need to be found and they need to be carried back to the fold. You see, Jesus was asking a simple question. How far does God's grace go? How far does his love stretch? How deep does it plunge into the depths? 
you see it plunges to the worst of the sinners, to the deepest of the depraved. It also reaches to the best of the Pharisees and to the smartest scribe. But the question that we have is when we see God saving souls, do we rejoice? Or like the Pharisees, do we grumble? For Jesus walks with sinners, with the unclean. You see, the third point here today is to see that he rejoices over those found. He rejoices over those found. But I think oftentimes we act like Pharisees. I know the other day I was watching clips on YouTube, they were news clips, and there was a local event going on in Seattle, Washington, in the autonomous zone. And it was incredible, they were on a field and they had this old dinghy, this old boat that they had filled with water. And there, in the middle of, of all of this violence and all of this looting and all of this rebellion, Two men inside that zone decided that they would go into the zone and that they would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there on this video, there was a kid who was an atheist, who was one of the leaders of the movement himself, and he professed his faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And they said, you have made your faith in Jesus Christ and now I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they dunked him right there in the middle of this craziness. I remember thinking to myself briefly, I hope it's real. Grumbling is somewhat of a skeptic because I'm so bothered at what's going on in our world. It reminds me of years ago Ted Bundy, who was one of the most notorious serial killers of the 20th century. The evening before Ted Bundy was executed, he asked Dr. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, to come and give him his final interview. One of the questions that Dobson asked him in this interview was about his faith in Jesus Christ and if God was giving him the strength in his final hours. Here's what Ted Bundy, a serial killer, said about his strength in final hours. I do. I can't say that being in the valley of the shadow of the death is something I've become all that accustomed to. And I'm strong and nothing is bothering me, but it's not fun. It gets kind of lonely, yet I have to remind myself that every one of us will go through this someday in one way or another. A serial killer. You see, faith is a matter of the heart between an individual and God. We cannot ever truly know a person's heart, and I will not presume here today to make any kind of analysis of Ted Bundy's faith. But for many of us, the mere thought of God saving Ted Bundy causes us to act like the Pharisees and the scribes. And as we begin to grumble, if not out loud, we do so quietly in our hearts. For this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, if each of these parables, Jesus includes two characters. 
The first is that which is lost. The second is one who seeks. The lost must in fact be found. But in each instance, the lost do not know that they are in fact lost. We have no indication that the sheep understood his predicament. He had no awareness of danger. He thought he was fine. The coin has no ability to see or to understand. It doesn't even think. You see, it only matters to the seeker. He leaves the many to find the one. The shepherd abandons the 99 to look for the one. The woman sweeps the house over to uncover the coin. There's no mention of time. There's no counting of the cost. All that matters is the lost one being returned to the many. It was not the sheep that strayed or the coins in the bank that were the cause of the party. It was the sheep that wandered, the coin that was lost. And then everyone was invited to rejoice over them being found. It leads me to this fourth and final point. Examine yourself. Where are you? The Pharisees and the scribes don't know how to rejoice. Instead, when they see sinners coming to Jesus, they blame Jesus for being too lenient, not for being too gracious. They miss the wonder of his mercy, thinking that they deserve the party instead of the lost. But what about us? What about you? Can you rejoice in bad people being made good in Jesus Christ? Or have you manufactured a certain test? A test that's designed by you, administered by you, graded by you, that one must pass to be included in God's kingdom? You see, the Pharisees and the scribes had one. And not even Jesus could pass that test. Would our test today exclude Jesus as well? You see, Jesus is calling the self-righteous in these stories. He's showing us what his brother James would ultimately say. Years later, he says in James 2.13, he says, Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If mercy triumphs over judgment... How do we apply this to our life every day? See, we know in John 10 that Jesus describes himself this way. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the seeking and the searching savior. And you and I are the wandering sheep. Actually, it's a bit worse than that because we're not just lost. We're actively hiding from God at times. You recall when Adam and Eve in the garden went after they had sinned. In Genesis 3.8, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord, Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, people's desire to hide from God explains an awful lot about our nature. 
You know, when I was sitting on that back porch in that dark moment thinking that there is no God, I was hiding from God. I was running from God because I didn't really want the God of the Bible. I really just wanted all of God's stuff. If you're ever lost, even for a brief time, the first and the all-important step, like in that dark moment, in that hummingbird ministering to me by the power of God, I'm gonna give you four steps. The first thing that you need to do is recognize it. You need to recognize that at that moment, you're lost. God gives us this incredible thing called conscience. We're filled with all kinds of emotions, whether it's anger or anxiety or worry or, or hopelessness. These are the warning signs that he gives you to let you know that you're no longer on his path. And as you cry out to him like that sheep, he comes for you. He picks you up and he carries you on his shoulders and he brings you back to the fold. It's a beautiful picture. Secondly, you have to admit it to yourself. I'm lost. I know this is difficult. It's especially difficult for men. I'll be the first one to say that when I'm lost and I'm driving around in circles, I'm the last guy to go and look up, where am I really at? And I'll stare at my wife all day long saying, no, I know exactly where I'm going. So we have to recognize it and we also have to admit it to ourselves. But thirdly and most importantly, we have to admit it to God. Lord, I'm lost. I need you. Show me. Come get me. Reveal to me your truth. Help me to surrender to your word, to your way. We need to have our eyes open to reality to understand where we really are apart from our Savior, to see how miserable we are without him. You see, St. Augustine said, the only real happiness in the world is knowing God. That's the only real happiness in this world, is knowing the person of Jesus Christ. You see, until you realize that, you and I will go on hiding in one place or another. But the fourth and final step is to acknowledge our helplessness. Apart from Jesus Christ, I am nothing, I have nothing, and I can do nothing without him. But through Jesus Christ, I can do all things. We must acknowledge our helplessness and our need of a savior in the first place. It's not like we're some sort of survival experts who are able to find our way out of the woods and follow the trail home on our own. Now, if we're lost, we're stuck and we're going nowhere. And unless God finds us, we can do nothing except cry out to him to save us. In those dark moments, even in these moments right now, this difficult season as a nation that we're in, I would never find my way out of it unless I cry out to him. He says to you, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest, but come to him. So here's the important question. 
Do you want to be found? Do you really want to be found? Or are you in your pity party hiding? The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 119, verse 176. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Do you see what he said? He admits that he's lost. He prays to God to find him. And he commits himself to God's word and to God's way. What about you? Can we do that? People in church often like to talk about how they've found God. I know what they mean by that, and I rejoice for it. But in a very real sense, none of us ever finds God. He always finds us. I am eternally grateful for that, for that amazing grace. I hope you are as well. As we call the band back up here to close in one last song, may we put our hearts right before him to worship and praise him that he comes after the lost and he helps us. Our Father and our God, Lord, today, we come to you and we ask that you would come and find and seek and search the lost. That by your grace, you would save us from ourselves. Lord, as we ourselves are often wandering around, not even realizing at the moment that we're lost, would you help us to see it? And would you help us, Lord, to rejoice as you bring the lost into your fold. And may we join with all of the saints and all that have gone before us and sing of your amazing grace. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Brothers and sisters, these are difficult and trying times. If you find yourself downcast, if you find yourself feeling a bit lost, would you call me? Would you email me? Would you come in and meet with me and let me pray with you and let me encourage you with the word of God? Would you also take the time, like the author of Hebrews says, to find a way, to consider ways that you can stir one another up, that you can help each other grow in grace? restrictions are so easy to be focused on but please please focus on the opportunities the opportunity to stir one another up to cry out to Jesus and let him carry you back to the fold may the God who created us ever shine his light before us may we as his servants grow in his grace and the knowledge of his son I love you guys. I hope to see you soon.